0: The Voice America Business Channel is brought to you by Intercall, the worldwide conferencing leader. Check out easy and reliable conferencing solutions at www.intercall.com forward slash radio.
1: My guest today, author James Redfield, was 43 when he published The Celestine Prophecy. Using an adventure parable approach that has been called Part Indiana Jones and part Scott Peck, the Celestine prophecy created a model for spiritual perception and actualization that resonated with millions of people and focused on the mysterious coincidences that occur in each of our lives. In disdaining the spotlight himself, Redfield proclaimed in the Celestine prophecy that each of us must intuit his own spiritual destiny. As he writes in the Celestine vision, his non-fiction title published in 1997. The actual writing of the Celestine Prophecy occurred from January 1989 through April 1991 and was characterised by a sort of trial and error process. Quite amazingly, as I remembered earlier experiences and wrote about them, lacing them into an adventure tale, striking coincidences would occur to emphasise the particular points I wanted to make. Books would show up mysteriously, or I would have timely encounters with the exact sort of individuals I was attempting to describe. Sometimes strangers would open up to me for no apparent reason and tell me about their spiritual experiences. After the self published book was brought to the attention of Warner Books, they bought the rights and published the hardcover edition in March of 1994. The book, quickly climbed up to the number one position on the New York Times bestsellers list, and it remained on that list for more than three years, joined by the tenth insight, which built upon the nine insights revealed in the first novel. The two books spent a combined 74 weeks on the New York Times list, making James Redfield the best-selling hardcover author in the world in 1996. The Celestine series of adventure parables continued in 1999 with the publication of The Secret of Shambhala in search of the eleventh insight. Set in modern day Tibet, Redfield continued the inspiring journey of the Celestine prophecy and the tenth insight, carrying readers to a new adventure in a sacred place where truths can affect all of humanity. In 2002, he joined author Michael Murphy and filmmaker Sylvia Timbers in a collaborative work entitled God and the Evolving Universe. The fourth and final book in the Celestine series, The Twelfth Insight, The Hour of Decision, was published in the spring of 2011. Author James Redfield joins me to talk about life and career on In Discussion. Welcome to In Discussion today. It's a great pleasure to be returning to the final program in the third part series with author James Redfield. James, hello today.
0: Hello, how are you?
1: I'm very well. James, we've really enjoyed some wonderful programs. As we were discussing, your time on the Bridge program was wonderful with scientist Nassim Haramein. We finished yesterday's program, the second in the series talking more in depth about the celestine vision and i had indicated that i'd like to start it off today with the celestine vision living the new spiritual awareness would like to gain some definition from you where that was coming in in the equation
0: well you know that book was an attempt to really talk about the philosophy in in, uh, in a Expository way, you know, just just laying it out there as a, in a kind of direct uh, point by point, you know, logical step by logical step, seeking to describe what I had, what I was conveying to date in the Salsing prophecy and the tenth insight, and it was you know an attempt to really argue for this uh, evolution of consciousness that I was chronicling in the self thing series, because I thought that um, it's, it's liberating, both to consciousness and to, and to action, to know that we're going somewhere in history. You know, there are a lot of people that think that history is cyclical and there's nothing really happening and it's all internal and, uh, you know, it's, it's learning how to not do <laughs> rather than to do. Uh, in this world, which I consider too Eastern, you know we 're talking about the integration of left to right hemispheres east and west in the globe uh, in my view, and so I really argue for both as an integrative consciousness for this world uh, that we 're marching toward very systematically, primarily because our brains are hardwired to do that and I mentioned that what we're firing up is is this integration between the left brain and the right you know the ego and the intuition. and once we you know I argue that once we open to the possibility of that, you know it sets the intention and all the rest that brings about this integration. But at the time I wrote the Selting vision, I really felt like I wanted to make a case that that we were firing up new archetypal pathways in our brains that were already set for this so that almost this this evolution is prefigured, not in direct content and in in every way or any kind of predestination, but it's prefigured in the way in this, you know, our biological antenna, you know, to to open up the consciousness. And, uh, of course, that certainly... Presumes uh, design, uh, from my point of view, and 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 we have to, uh, you know, have to step into this reality. I mean, that's the, to me that those are the facts of, of life, uh, from a point of view of a deeper philosophical understanding of what the purpose for history and the purpose for this whole experiment called humanity here, and. Um, it's to unify and perfect uh, and come to full consciousness of ourselves in relation to each other and to this divine matrix that is our source. So the whole thing is about coming to agreement about what that is. So in later books, after the Celtic Vision, uh, you know, that, that became something that I could then identify as occurring in, in mass consciousness realizing what the program here in life is and it was a a way to to lay it out and then i did you know years of lectures about that about coming to realize that uh, life is about evolving and and growing in a in a way that's uh, deeply spiritual
1: complex subject towards the end of our second program I had posed certain question, taking you down this road to identify the audience, a very diverse audience, and we talked about religion, we talked about paradigms that I suspect are going to disappear soon. And meeting all of those halfway and finding this divine common denominator, I use old language again. It's still far away though, is it not? from Eastern philosophy, even Western philosophy, this evolution, this consciousness, they are going to be difficult to integrate that into their thinking. And I'm wondering here what it is, what the expression is, that they can fully understand it.
0: Well, that's a great question. You know, I've always thought that Academics and journalists would be the last to get it, which is why I work in the sphere of art and uh, popular consciousness to a certain degree and uh, the sort of uh, broader strokes of humanity out there. Because I think science does a great job with physical phenomena. You know, academics, you know, you talked about a paradigm, you know, the, the whole slow way that paradigms shift in, in scientific and academic reality uh, precludes uh, you know, this sort of popping into consciousness that I believe is really the, the way we experience the consciousness. Now I don't want to downplay the role of science. I think the role of science is to document and you, know, they, they, you apply all the mathematics as a kind of rationalization of what's something that's already been Grokked at the level of consciousness in terms of the, the, of the groundswell popular evolution. In other words, there's a to me there's a there's a kind of leading edge of human evolution that happens with individuals, and and a lot of time I know that what I'm describing is something I'm I'm yeah you know, I call it. The leading edge of popular consciousness, but it's not recognized by the gatekeepers of consciousness, like the academics and the and the journalists. You know, they they get it later when it suddenly becomes instituted in human reality. You know, the uh, the whole idea to speak to academics. I mean, I love the academic world because it's it's like a this this reality that's you know uh, sort of (laughs) sort of uh, subset from the ordinary struggle to make a living and uh... to do commerce and and to create projects and get them off the ground and do all the action kinds of things it's uh, contemplative Uh, it's a world of contemplation and, and usually civil arguments and uh, arriving at some synthesis of, of, but you know, I love all that. I love all that, and that's, I, I came out of that in a way. But where the action is for me is
1: this—you
0: know, this leading edge. So uh, I do think, though, that it's important. Your question is important. How do we, how do we bridge the conversation? How do we uh, create a language that academics will accept? that are best described how consciousness evolves and the experience of that to an individual.
1: It is a big question. It's a huge question. And I see the road forking and going one of two ways. It's either going to go in the direction where you do have a very profound future by design out of pure intention to walk away from the materialistic world that we find ourselves in through some type of catalyst, or through some sort of catalytic event that perhaps the Mayan are suggesting. They may be not, but one of the two is going to occur, and if I look back in history, uh, you look at the end of the Roman Empire or the Greek civilization usually it takes a huge crisis or today i would more define it as a super crisis that would create the energy to affect change
0: well you know i think you're i think that's that's exactly right it is it's usually done the hard way and um it would surprise me a bit if it just all crashed you know i mean the world finances, the dollar, the whole idea of honoring contracts, the whole idea of a fiat currency—you know—that took hold that created the era of greed. In my, in my uh, estimate, you know, there's just so many things that are are imperfect in economic life, and it's hard to imagine how can we evolve fast enough to take care of everybody. I mean, you know, we have a huge population problem and we have a huge job problem. And one of the things I argue for is to, you know, liberate your creativity to a point of view of finding a way to fill a need out there that somebody has they're willing to pay you money for. But do it at the level of, you know, this this sort of right brain creative manifestation. Because... Just, you know, doing ordinary paths that we had in the in the 20th century, you know, where you join a corporation and they take care of your health care and they have your retirement and you work your whole life and enjoy yourselves and have plenty of time for your family and explore your religion. And, and that's all gone. It's already gone because we, the technology has replaced human labor. And, you know, we've had these bubbles created by people who – inflated the currency all over the world, especially in the dollar, in order to make a killing. And what they killed was this this gradual elevation of a middle class that could have happened. It could have been sustained. It was just difficult, given the ecological problems and, and all the rest That we that's now history, now context for all of us that that pursue any kind of idealism right now but it wouldn't surprise me at all if it all just came crashing down creating a kind of not this sort of collective world government you know star trek world but a new decentralized de-technolized world in which uh, that looks more uh you know like the the 13th century Uh, Where we have to virtually start from scratch with our ideals uh, from a grassroots uh, point. Wouldn't surprise me a bit if that happened. It will, but it wouldn't surprise.
1: That's actually where I'm going. I don't think it's a good idea to return to something. Often I'll find myself asking people, are we returning back to the kingdom? Maybe that's reaching in a way. There's perhaps too many Gnostic. Uh, connotations in that but if you go back to the 1600s you you see John Milton's Paradise Lost i think it was 1649 where he talks about the journey he becomes the narrator of how we move from a feudal system into an industrialized system and i wonder in this world today whether and of course money has been around forever that cannot be denied but Money became more than just a exchange for commodities, even from the 1600s, 1700s. Is it the money ultimately the problem, and could it be that the Mayans are illustrating that when they talk about this final level, that it will be money that has to be extinguished?
0: Well, I definitely think that money will be extinguished, uh, but I think that will be be the result of a spiritual evolution transformation that's the only way that we can get there from my point of view i think that you know money becomes greed you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with money and as a as a way to exchange uh goods and to be helpful to each, each other you know to i mean there's nothing wrong with capitalism i mean it's 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 the Natural form of economic life. You know, I mean, you see it. Every socialized economy has an underground that that is people taking their resources and and trying to give people something they want. That's what. And, and see that that process is deeply spiritual. I believe. I know that you know capitalism is the uh, sort of the, the poster boy for what what went wrong, but. But at its essence, its I argue, in fact, in, the, in my new book, The Twelfth Insight, that the problem is not capitalism, it's how, it, how it's done, the, the consciousness with which we uh, participate in it. Because I believe that the, the way this world is designed to work in terms of karma and, and universal response uh, is, it, is that it's to give. And if you give kind of place to give, fill a need, help somebody in some way, make the world better in some way, the world rewards that in a a high tech, high paced economic life, it's the only thing it rewards. Because what we see out, out there now is that all the corruptions in capitalism are being exposed. They crash out of their own alignment with spiritual design in the universe.
1: I always remember that famous quote from G.K. Chesterton, I believe, when he said, to be clever enough to get all that money, one must be stupid enough to want it. (laughs) That says a lot, does it not, about people's consciousness at the moment. But something that resonated with me just now, James, is Essentially, what you're talking about is moving to a consciousness where generosity is everything. Generosity.
0: That's right, and trust. See, I think the new value, uh, and and I'm not the first to say this, the new value is in a world that's almost universally deceptive and self-centered, trust is the new value. And in other words, can I trust that this person is telling me the truth. Can I trust? Can I build a, uh, you know, a project with this person? Is that per- person reliable? Is that person going to honor our contractual partnership uh, in some endeavor? You know, all that's what's crashing out there. You know, the credit default swaps were the last sort of institutionalized deception to try to con your trading
1: partner. Was that not indicative of the media's message in the last 10 years? Not pointing fingers, but I I remember this film or this program that Oprah Winfrey had. That is suggesting that people should sit back and do little to survive. I remember Horace Greeley said, The darkest hour of any man's life is when he sits down to plan how to get money without earning it. Is, Is that perhaps how we found ourselves here after the last 10 or 20 years.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean it's uh you know the greed is a is a symptom of lostness. It's a symptom of not being inspired spiritually. It's not be, you know it's a symptom of not being connected spiritually. And it's grown out of this whole sort of rationalization that liberated us to treat people uh, any way we wanted because why the world is absurd it doesn't matter uh all we have is this crazy life and then we die uh, all those rationalizations created the greed decade the 20-year period as you point to suddenly there wasn't a spiritual source there was just material security that one could rely on and once that happened, everything goes. You know, I mean, uh, just win. That's the only. That's the only value. Get yours before it all falls apart. And that's what we saw in the financial collapse. The people that created the the worldwide financial collapse that is being propped up by twigs and wires and safety pins right now. To keep it, it didn't fall, but it will fall. The question is, is how hard it will fall? It was all perpetrated by less than, I think, less than 300 people who thought, well, you know, since Greenspan started this free money, uh, you know, inflated the currency, you know, just not quite... As Bernanke wants to do, drop money from helicopters, but just made so much money available. It was totally unsustainable. Everybody knew it, so what did they do? They just created a game, the largest heist in human history, where they decided that they were going to take these worthless loans, mortgages, divide them up, and sell them all over the world and with the promise that they were going to keep paying interest to to people. Uh, It just never was sustainable less than three or four hundred people made their multi-millions and got out actually before it crashed.
1: This is a deep-seated problem, and most of it can go back to the Federal Reserve. I certainly agree with you that the world is probably dominated by three or five hundred individuals. You have many people talking today about George Soros and these individuals who certainly seem to be up to something. And I certainly cannot completely get my head around it, but certainly it's a false world. If you look at the Dow, and I really do, you know, it's uh, hovering at 12,500 and it's indicative of something very dark to me. Because there's no manufacturing base or industry to support that.
0: It's It's a game with free money. And uh, what it's causing, as you know, is all these bubbles that we see out there right now, and and they're going to all crash.
1: So, ultimately, and I think that you cited this, expressed this very well with the hero and will in your books, ultimately, it's about returning to the wilderness, finding that universal spirit, that bliss that is not contained within a megacity, is not possessed at all by anything that's materialistic or that is sought through currency. It has to be finding yourself and finding a place. Of course, the film really was wonderful in painting that picture, but there are obstacles on one side that we have to shed. And although to many people today who... Clearly are very asleep. They may look at the other side that is illustrated in the prophecies and may say, "Well, hang on a minute because I don't have my microwave refrigerator and car sitting in the garage. It's a difficult hurdle to get over for people who are very deeply seated in that mindset.
0: Well, I don't think we have to give any of it up. Uh, I think we just have to transform, transform in place all the institutions that exist everywhere you know there's no there's no reason that and and as i stated in the try to illustrate in the book that people can't pop open in consciousness spontaneously a satori and and suddenly realize they're in a perfect position in the in the heart of one of these huge giant multinational corporations or uh, somewhere with a a cog in the way everything works now there's no reason that all these people enough of them can't shift from personal attainment and, and focus on building the empire and the money to shifting that whole operation that whole corporation into a role of service in the world
1: that service is generosity compassion true love being in bliss and I find it hard being where I am today in looking at people who are very very contained with this do consume world how they are going to be able to look at that in any other way but seeing it as iconic seeing it as the be all end all because I think that people look at money as image as being one step above another human being and that is certainly something that as we move into this consciousness is simply not going to be considered.
0: Yeah, it's it's something that again that's a substitute for real the the real juice in life which is the inner spiritual opening because what you get there is the rest of your knowledge and wisdom you get all the intuitive guidance, you know, you know when to make moves again, but it has to be in alignment with the design of the world, which is to be seeking something, you know, trying to manifest some project that is of service out there, as you say. It's it's generosity in action, you know, where, uh, you know, you just flip the, right now it's just making money any way you can, by hook or crook, but that pales to the fun and the adventure of doing, it you know, as, as it, from a kind of allowing yourself to be guided into it by this higher part of yourself, which is connected to all this wisdom and intuitive uh, life and synchronicities where the world just opens up magically to make this thing you're wanting to do work. In other words out there the greedy life is the hard way i mean it's work these guys that work in wall street you know trying to right now they're trying to just see how you know see how long they can keep it from all falling apart but but before you know they were working tremendous hours to get those multi millions it was drudgery um in the in the at the personal level at the level of their personal lives i mean you you can just you know, and I've done this—just survey bunches of them, and what they'll say, what you pick up almost immediately is this jaded, uninspired, propped up on all kinds of pharmaceutical drugs, alienated from you know multi-divorces, and alienated from everybody, and no friends kind of person, and nobody wants that anymore. So. It's all tilted for a for a flip. We just got to bring it to consciousness, in my view, in a way. And, and again, I represent that in the book as as a twelfth insight. Because uh, what we're doing is, where the abundance one feels is just as, is is ten times that perilous kind of deceptive life uh, represented by the greed that's out there.
1: You have certainly traveled with these books that are very synchronistic in their selves they are a running narrative you reach the 12th insight and it is a very good definition of where we are today it's a plan it's a solution it's providing thought-provoking methods of change inspiration generosity there is interestingly to me a lot of synchronicity as well with other prophecies whether it's the man prophecies or the Hopis or the even the Zunis is this book designed to see us through the final stages just as the final stage of the main calendar is designed to accomplish here is it supposed to be part of the final solution
0: well I would argue and again I'm you know I like to stress that I'm not making this stuff up. I couldn't make it up if I wanted to. You know, it's it's something that I'm observing. And, and maybe, you know, what I do is just convince myself it's really it's happening. You know, how long has it been since, uh eight years, eight or nine years since a, there was a book in this series? So this the 12th Insight was offered only after... I, you know, I became convinced a twelfth insight was actually happening. So I'm pointing to something out there, a, a social movement, uh, you know, that I see as a return to integrity and and uh, and opening up of consciousness. So I believe, you know, from the point of view of bringing this together into uh, the as an offering of clarity about what we're all doing pretty much at the same time. And you know, when I say all, I mean those of us who are in this and moving suddenly feel ourselves moving forward with with a kind of quickening happening i'm describing something that's occurring in my view from across across cultures and religions and and institutions of all kinds in in the world in the human world so yes i do think it's the solution part of the solution and in the sense that we have to do this this is an internal process before we can make it collective. It's the only way to do it. You know, it's the only way to save the world. It's the only way to deal with this, all that's wrong out there from from our idealistic perspective. We can't raise a large enough army to do it, to fix it. We can't build a uh, raise enough taxes to build a big, a big enough government to do it for us. We can't find some savior or some benevolent dictator to give all our power to to make it happen the only way to make it happen is for enough of us to have this breakthrough consciousness that i think we have the vocabulary to describe now and to point to and to talk to each other about and to reinforce uh with each other you know it begins uh and and has to take final form in the individual
1: one of the most striking things for me james i can't remember who said this you see things and you say why but i dream things that never were and i say why not i can't remember who said that that for me and i'm going down a road here talks about manifestation and a lot of what i read in your books is truly being in a position to manifest the greatest outcome to put your mind and your heart to it and I've learned this myself over the last couple of years, is that you wake up every morning and you truly bless everything around you. And that's a a lot about what it is today. It's about people truly understanding that if they need a better world, they want a better world together, they can actually make it happen.
0: No doubt about it. And, And I would even argue that as the Mayans predict, it's never been easier to do. It's, we've never had so much help available from this energetic source within us. You know, this creative energy is somehow there's a quickening. We can feel it. Uh, we just have to tune in. And, and I think the twelfth insight, as I described it, is, is a method to tune in. I think it's important to stress that when, when we say the individual has to do it, the individual has to do it by opening up to this greater part. Yes you know, right brain, this creative side, this spiritual connection has to do it, but it can only be done by by a return to integrity, and that means a a return to truthfulness, you know, stopping, slowing down, getting centered and saying and asking, what do I really think about this, this world, what we're doing?" Who do I believe? All these ideologies out there telling me what to believe. What do I believe? That centeredness in truth, one's own personal search for truth, is how it feels to do this because that opens up as soon as you start looking for the, the truth out there about how to live this kind of life we're imagining. The answers start to come, and not only that, you're you're waiting for signs and and uh, the opportunities, and this centered waiting, expectant waiting, you know, is a kind of faithfulness that brings in all this help, you know, that feels like a guiding intuition and a perception of of something that's fated, you know, like our destiny unfolding. And we, you know, we talk to that stranger and all of a sudden we have a piece, another piece of the puzzle in terms of how we can get our dream to happen. And at the basis of this truthfulness, I believe is the the realization that it's truth that the world responds to and rewards. So that now we understand what karma is. Karma is telling the truth and doing it to, uh, with others, everybody you meet, until and being of service to them. You know, how, what can I say to, that could help them, open up them, or or, or just be a service, a truth that I think would be helpful to this person intuitively. I know. All that comes in, and that's what the universe rewards. That's the secret of karma. That's the larger secret of how to, the law of attraction, how to get our dream to come true. Is that if we're truthful in service to others, the universe brings to us, we draw into our lives others who act that same way and that's what makes all these grand synchronicities you know people arrive just in time to
1: open a door for us and give us this information in my world in what i do i know that it's very important to be a listener so that people can talk Because that's a a great difficulty in our world today. I think that people are enslaved because they don't have a voice. And my goodness me, in my world, when people can talk, they often turn around to me and they say, My goodness me, I haven't been on something where I can actually talk without being interrupted. And I wanted to say with that, I love this part of your book, The Oneness Intentional. I loved the part. I found a bench near the fountain and began to read where I had left off. It immediately held me spellbound. To completely join minds, it said we must intend oneness, but we must also come back to a love state that totally transcends sexual complexity. It names this emotion agape and it goes on where you you have Rachel She says look how beautiful it is outside she said remember how the world looked on Secret Mountain we're truly working our way back there with each integration the next step is opening our senses fully to the way the world really looks when we're all connected together in a state of love and I think that also is very important to encourage the youngsters I look at your players in these books and i'm very concentrated and focused on supporting what i call the 80s generation i see so many of these kids born in the 80s who definitely they're not a different type of human being there's no evidence of any sort of cellular change but they are remarkably more conscious possibly than those who were born in the 50s or 60s
0: yeah i, I think you i think you're right I, I think there's i think each generation comes in uh, you know and they don't have to uh, you know they don't have to deal with a world that's confused about racial prejudice anymore slavery and, you know we, they come into a world where you know we're past a lot of that so they're it's easier for them to get out you know beyond those limitations and open up a little bit more of their brains and you know but they're also i think you've you would agree that uh you know this that generation is very group oriented let's get together and do something
1: oh well, you're talking about the tribal concept coming back again
0: that's exactly right and and it's uh you know that's it, it's it's probably a cyclical thing, but you know what their role i believe is to cross these all these barriers that that are between people out there and really work uh, do the groundwork that's going to take to bridge across religions and bridge across economic philosophies and, and make a bridge toward the way business is uh, an idealism that can be taken into the business world so I agree with you that this, this is very important to really communicate the larger vision to these uh, this group um, and I worry about that sometimes because they're so, you know, they're integrated in such a way that, 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 that they don't read intellectually as much. They're more doers. And uh, I, I think our, our great challenge is to bring them into the larger vision, uh, you know, that we're, that we're uh, working toward and speaking of in this kind of conversation.
1: It's also, is it not important? I remember when I was at private school as a kid in England, and I could remember the headmistress saying, Sit up, laddie. Don't dream. But I think, actually, we're in a world where we should allow these youngsters to dream. It's part of it. John Perkins talks about the eagle and the condor. Dream what we want. Dream it. There's nothing wrong with dreaming if you dream it then you are getting into manifestation and anything that you want to create whether it's in a tribe or on your own or, or when you're in meditation you can make it happen today
0: yeah i mean there's never been a greater language potential in humanity there's there's uh you know there's this uh, you know I, I feel like we're we're becoming more telepathic with each other so it's easier to understand across the meaning of words and, and, and languages. So I'm very hopeful that you know this vision that we've been talking about is, is doable, and, and doable in time. In other words, in the nick of time, <laughs> to, so that we don't have to start all over. Duh, I think that's the easier way to do it.
1: Yeah, that's important. In the nick of time is a very good way to state it, because we are certainly seeing life accelerate. We're seeing the issues compounding very quickly whether you're in the Gulf of Mexico, or you're in Wall Street, or in Japan. Things are happening at an incredible rate, so that means that our response to it, our reciprocation, and the way that we do become generous in everything that we do has to match that acceleration.
0: That's right, and, and that, that means the that change will continue to happen very quickly, but it's the intuitive part of ourselves, you know, this hunch to leave one job before it disappears and go to another. And, uh, you know, that's the way to navigate, you know. And, and, again, it's looking to be of service. How can I be of service? And that's the mental posture of this con- that activates this consciousness. It's how the, the world is designed to respond to that with positive karma. The more we try to deceive our way through, as characterized by the financial system in the last years, the more we run into people who are, reflect that back to us and they deceive us and lead us and mislead us in the wrong direction. where lives go around in circles and the more loss we feel because that's it's not in harmony with the design. Uh, and I think the discovery of, you know, to me, this, you know, this integrity movement that you see happening out there that's the most hopeful sign of all, you know, because we are understanding that, and it's possibly because karma happens much more quickly now. So we can read it. We can see if we take, if we are de- decepted to any degree, uh, you know, it stalls this magical flow of our lives because we we draw into somebody that reflects that back to us. Not it's punishment, but it's to show us how harmful any kind of deception is and so we're getting it in my view coming back to this this centered life of integrity that's of course the most inspired fun life one can possibly
1: achieve james we come to the end of this journey together looking back over your life so far and the huge success of these books and frankly being hugely inspirational in these programs and it's been a great honor to share that with you how do you see your life how do you see what you've accomplished? How do you see it in your mind
0: uh well, it's interesting. it's um you know, I look at it all and say, "Well God, I could've done that a lot better." <laughs> you know <laughs> I could have shaped the books I could have you know I could have done it where it had a larger effect. but I realize that it's the audience I'm because of the way I'm designed I'm writing these books. For an audience that's growing, that's traveling down the same path, and I believe that we're all resonating with those truths to, to the degree to which I could express them. That other people are expressing them. So we're really, we're really, you know, all I've done is made a contribution toward the clarity of pro, uh, perhaps of what's happening. And uh, you know, there are lots of people working, you know, from different angles on this same, this same. Sources, you know, the same step and evolution of consciousness that we're, that's happening out there. So, you know, I look back and, I you know, despite wanting to have done it more effectively, I think I, I, I dreamed the dream and, and, uh, and saw it manifest and, and, and in a lot of ways stuck my neck out with it. And it feels as though, you know, I made a contribution. You also feels like it's not complete you know in other words there are better ways to say it and and better ways to talk about it and and perhaps that's the language that we're all learning together
1: james it has been a great pleasure to spend these three programs with you i do thank you so very much for sharing your journey with me
0: thank you i, I really enjoyed it too david thanks for what you do
1: and to our listeners today, I do hope that you enjoyed these three programs with author James Redfield as much as I. You can gain information on these and any other programs in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. So what did you want to talk to me about?
0: Last month, I was in Peru doing a piece on a relief project. I met a priest there. He told me about some scrolls. What kind of scrolls? It's a prophecy.
1: Why are you calling me about all this now?
0: Because every time I would think of this prophecy, I would think of you. You should go to Visante, John.
1: Have you ever experienced a coincidence that you cannot explain? Wait a minute. You know about all this. Who are you? Part of your story, apparently. My name is Will. John. Do you suppose it was an accident that you came to Peru? Why did I see you from my window when I did? Ever feel as though your life was about something more? So what are you telling me? That this is some kind of a fate thing that I'm supposed to go with you? There are journeys that can take a person across continents. My God. What is this place? Celestine Ruins. What's that over there? The mission.
0: But sometimes...
1: I know you're, you're here to do something important. The greatest journey... Will told me I had to open up, whatever that means. ...is the one we take within ourselves.
0: I uh, felt the kind of completeness. A uh, wholeness is... Uh, it's unmatched euphoria amazing how easy it is to lose yourself around some people.
1: Why are you losing yourself?
0: I'm talking about
1: you. You opened up. You changed. Did you explain this to you? But I lost it.
0: Why? It's because you're not through yet. You have to discover your guidance.
1: There's nothing to understand. All this talk about prophecy must come to an end. But don't worry. We're going to get out of here. Energy surrounds us, intuition guides us, this is mine to do, mystery calls us, if you only knew what the prophecy says,
0: how the world really is, always find the deeper meaning, the silver lining,
1: that's what keeps you in the flow.